There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping leaders to cultivate meaning and purpose in the workplace to elicit passion, inspired contribution, and persevering performance within the organization. So I seek out and bring on guests who have a particular perspective, experience, or expertise that I think contributes to or expands this conversation. And as a management consultant and social scientist, I draw on the meaning and work and identity research I've been doing over the last 15 years, as well as from my consulting speaking and work developing workforces across the globe i hope you caught the show last week it was fantastic if you missed it live you can always catch it via recorded podcast we were on the air with air with hugh welsh who is the president and general counsel of dsm the largest life sciences and material sciences company you've never heard of as he likes to say we talked about how this 21,000 21,000 employee, $12 billion company is entirely purpose-led and performance-driven and has been for at least the last 11 years with their CEO at the helm. Hugh shared how being purpose-led has contributed to the highest employee engagement rates in the industry and the highest shareholder value they've ever had. He also shared how living the company's purpose completely governs how they make strategic investments across the globe, like creating a nutritious food program in Rwanda and cleaning up the Pacific Ocean garbage pile. Turns out working from purpose is good for the bottom line as well. <laughs> so with us with, with us this week is Aaron Hurst. He is the foremost expert on the science of purpose at work. He is the author of The Purpose Economy that brought global awareness to the rise of the fourth economic era in history, the purpose economy. He is the CEO and co-founder of Imperative, the technology platform for leaders in the new economy. Previously, as the founder of Taproot Foundation, Aaron catalyzed $15 billion of pro bonus service market. He joins us today from Seattle, Washington. Aaron, welcome to Working on Purpose. It's a pleasure to be with you. This is great. It is great. And I have to tell you, let's just start by getting getting the obvious out here. Um, you've embarrassed me publicly, Aaron. You know how? I'm excited to find out. <laughs> I brought your book with me, The Purpose Economy, on my vacation to Australia and New Zealand. I read it with such zeal and gusto that as I was highlighting and exuberantly gy- gyrating to your points, people on the plane were looking at me like, there's something wrong with her. What's she doing over there? So <laughs> thank you for that. Did the uh, Sky Marshal uh, arrest you? <laughs> I wish then that would have put me in the topper of the trip right there. But no, sadly, no. <laughs> I just got the looks that I'm crazy, which I am. But but I was so, right, right. I was so riveted with what you came up with. And I, as soon as I read that, that's when I reached right out to you and said, Aaron, would you please come on my show? So thanks for that. And it's, the work is amazing, Aaron. I want to just snuggle up in that mind of yours. So let's let's get to it, shall we? Sounds great. Okay. So... You know, that book that you wrote is, I think it's incredibly well written, and it's just full of interesting history and research from your own work at Taproot. So before we get into the book itself, can we start with how and why you founded Taproot before you started Imperative? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for the uh, the kind words. And it's great to hear that the book really, you know, resonated with you. You put a lot of, put a lot of energy into a book. So it's really, it means a lot to hear that, you know, being read and that people are getting value out of it. So thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, don't even know where to begin, at least in a lot of ways. So I mean, Taproot Foundation 
to me, largely stemmed from starting my career after college working in inner city education in Chicago and really seeing uh, that nonprofit organizations working in inner city education were just hitting a wall in terms of their ability to make an impact. Uh, they had great visions, but they had a long time ago given up on actually achieving those visions. And it sort of fallen into this almost a poverty uh, mentality around what was possible and what could be done. And as someone who was at the time 21, uh, facing a long career ahead of me, just sort of stepped back and said, I can't sort of work in this sector and be working for organizations that are so inspiring but fall so short year after year after year. And decided that I really wanted to go figure out how is it that organizations are able to scale and actually achieve their vision. And this is 1997. And to me, the best place to go figure that out was Silicon Valley. And I moved there. I worked in two startups, both of which were under 10 people at the time and stayed there for two years, a little over two years each, and saw them scale to several hundred people each. And in that process, really came to understand how organizations scale, how they're actually able to be on a trajectory to do something groundbreaking and at a large scale. And, you know, the, the most obvious answer is money. And I think I could have figured that out after about 30 seconds. But the piece that really inspired the start of the Taproot Foundation was realizing that what these startups did is they hired the functional talent they needed before they needed it. They brought in the senior marketing people, the senior tech people, the senior HR people to lay the runway so that the organization could take off. Whereas in the nonprofits I'd worked in, they never hired those people. And if they did, they were way after they needed them. And the plane had already skidded off the runway and was just trying to sort of survive. And realized that we not only had a financial crisis in the nonprofit sector, but we actually had a talent gap. And there was a need to be able to figure out how to help these nonprofits get access to the marketing, tech, HR, finance, you know, other skills and resources that, you know, you and I know companies take for granted. And that really was the, the start of the Taproot Foundation, started calling on companies and individuals to not just donate their time to do traditional volunteering, but saying, you know, where nonprofits really need you is not cleaning up a park, it's building their website, it's uh, designing their strategic plan. Hmm. So brilliant. And lots of things that you said in there that I resonate with. And part of it for me is I've, as I said in my introduction, have been very fascinated with how people find meaning in their work and where they are themselves in terms of their identities. And so now add the strategic piece to that. Uh, I'm I'm really interested. So thank you for that. That was, I was fascinated to hear about what you had done with Taproot. And I do want to talk more about what you're doing at Imperative a little bit later, but uh, I want to dive into the book next if we can. Okay, so in the first and foremost, Aaron, you distinguish in the book that developed nations like the U.S. have experienced four distinct economies in the last few centuries, and I was very interested in how you laid them out, the agrarian, industrial, information, and now the purpose economy, and that they all build on each other. So first, can you help us understand, for those of us or those in the crowd who've never heard that term, purpose economy, uh, what is it and how did it come about? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I geek out on this stuff, so um, I'll try to keep it that. <laughs> I like it too. Um, so my uncle actually was a, a PhD candidate at Stanford in the 70s and coined the term information economy um, in his dissertation and showed how we had actually made that shift from agrarian to industrial to now an information economy. And I really sort of was fascinated by this idea that uh, these economies emerge over time. And a lot of times people talk about this economy or that economy. They're talking about micro-economies that are subsets of the broader economy. Um, so it might be you know, a skills economy. You might have a volunteer economy. You might have a um, 
communications economy, you have all these sort of sub-economies, but there's these macro-economies that are eras and time that define the fundamental organizing principles for labor and consumption and where value creation happens. So you start with the agrarian economy where, uh, you know, people went from being nomads to figuring out how to farm. Um, You started having people have land rights and owning land. And you started seeing the emergence of something called a job, which didn't exist before then. And people basically who owned land were able to get people who didn't to work that land because um, that was the only way uh, that they could survive or make a living. Um, And there was a, you know, this is when we saw the rise of slavery, et cetera. Um, In this economy, value is all about land um, and land ownership, land control. Uh, It then evolved into the industrial economy where we learned how to create machines that could um, enable us to do things from flying to driving uh, to building factories, et cetera. And this was a fundamental shift to where raw materials became sort of the core, the core value. And the nature of work changed again. We saw people uh, were now sort of moving into cities. Uh, there was much more of a, there was this, the rise of organized labor. Um, there was much more of a consciousness about uh, the idea of workers' rights. Uh, we also saw a tremendous amount of abuse during that. Uh, you know, move into the information economy that my uncle sort of pointed to. We saw the shift happen again, where the shift became about information and that innovation change all was about information, information flow, whether that was news, you think about modern day technology, et cetera, um, you know, telephones. This is all built on this information economy that started, you know, well over 100 years ago, but really sort of came to be the dominant economy about 50 years ago. Um, and this economy, the, the core values actually became uh, increasingly the employee because the knowledge worker was what was enabling uh, information to, to the technology we build for information to be shared. And we shifted the role in the economy from the sort of manufacturing model to one in which you know, employees were actually the source of value creation. And what we've seen as a natural evolution of that now is that people are more and more empowered and they're looking at their lives and they're wanting something more from, from their work um, now that they've sort of at the center of the equation and they're really looking for purpose and fulfillment. And that's changing how they're looking for work. It's changing what jobs they stay in. It's changing how they approach their work. It's changed the whole equation for the workforce um, as we move into this purpose economy. And then secondly, it's really changed consumption. If you look at where you know, the bulk of innovation and growth is happening in the economy that's new. Um, it's coming out of people's need for fulfillment, uh, the development of communities, uh, the development of people being able to, to make an impact and people able to grow. So the purpose economy, the book, sort of the core thesis is that we're now in the early days of this new economy. And just like with the rise of the information economy, this is an incredible time to be alive and to be able to innovate and to grow because much that is old will disappear and much that is new uh, will build together. Gorgeous, Aaron. What a way to recap a lot of centuries of time there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What else I remember, if I think I've got this right, and correct me if I'm wrong, what I think I remember you writing about, too, was that the 2008 recession also ushered in a need for stability in ourselves versus employers and putting more meaning at things that maybe maybe were within our control. Do I have that right? No, absolutely. And if you think about the old, uh, sure, the old model around work is people generally had a profession or a job, and they had that through their whole career, and that gave them a sense of purpose and identity. Um, when we started to see that old model fall apart um, with the you know, end of the uh, industrial economy and into the information economy, people started to see a need to uh, 
define themselves based on sort of who they are, not just their profession. And then to your point, in the 2008 recession, we had a whole generation that came into the job market sort of unable to enter that market with a clear sense of identity around profession or role or industry um, and had to figure out a way to define who they were without that. Um, on top of that, they had a cynicism from seeing the banking industry implode. You're building off of also, you know, 9-11, uh, seven years earlier, where I think many people also just questioned sort of what are we all about? Uh, they talked about, you know, what is the role I'm playing in the change in the world? So you had all these different uh, variables that were making an impact. And there's many more than that. But to your point about 2008, that really was a, I think, galvanizing sort of year for, for much of this uh, change. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people can point to that year as being very pivotal for them, uh, myself included. I tried to start a startup around that time, Aaron. We, we can uh, see how that went, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, in your book, you uh, you talk about 10 drivers in the new purpose economy. And of course, we can't get to all of them, but I would love for you to maybe speak on a couple of those that you think are especially pertinent to this conversation. Well, I'll tell you about the one that I sort of especially pertinent to this conversation, but also what's happening in the news um, these days is really the rise of women in the workforce, because in sort of the old economies, women were really not at the core of the workforce. And much of the work that women did in a traditional sense, so you think about the traditional female roles in the house, hold those weren't considered part of the economy, like the work taking care of kids, cleaning the house, et cetera, were all um, considered um, outside the economy because there are women's work and therefore, you know, the male economists didn't count it in, in the economy. Uh, what we've seen now is two different major trends happening around this. One is uh, more and more women are working um, in the workforce. And in fact, they're actually dominating professional schools now and uh, much of the uh, entry level into corporations now and the top talent is women. Um, and then secondly, all the work that then has to be outsourced because they're no longer playing that domestic role um, now are actual jobs that have money um, that are uh, that is being transacted, which is suddenly making this you know, massive part of the economy actually visible to everyone and not invisible as it was in the past. So the changing role of women in society is one of the largest causes for this change. And what we found is that women are 50% more likely to embrace purpose um, than men uh, when it comes to work. And that many of the sort of attributes we see associated with that are actually uh, much more aligned with what the research is showing creates an effective workforce. So to me, the purpose economy in a large degree is the women's economy. Um, and I think it's the first economy that really is you know, an economy that's designed around optimization of you know, women versus men. Well, of course, you know, I find that fascinating in part because I'm a woman and two, I am, I'm a single woman. I'm divorced and I'm on my own and, and I take care of myself and my work is very important to me. So, and I think how you described how the work that we had been doing previously is now being transacted and therefore money is exchanged is really fascinating part of, of how things are changing. So I know there's a lot more we could pull out of here, but let's grab a quick break real quick. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're on the air with Aaron Hurst, the foremost expert on a the science of purpose at work and the author of the purpose economy how your desire for impact personal growth and community is changing the world he is the ceo and co-founder of imperative the technology platform for leaders in the new economy and joins us today from seattle washington we've been talking about just what is the purpose economy after the break we'll talk more about the personal and social purpose of it stay with us we'll be right back 
Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Aaron Hurst, the foremost expert on the science of purpose at work and author of The Purpose Economy, How Your Desire for Impact, Personal Growth, and Community is Changing the World. He is the CEO and co-founder of Imperative, the technology platform for leaders in the new economy. He, he and Imperative are also one of the organizers of the Purpose 2030 conference on October 25th in Phoenix, Arizona, where I do get to attend. I'm looking forward to it. We've been talking about just what is the purpose economy. Next, we want to get into the personal and social aspects of this. So, Aaron, um, you have a very distinct definition of purpose in your book that I thought was really interesting. I read a lot about purpose and meaning and such, and yours is is very specific, and you indicate it must include impact, personal growth, and community. Can you tell us why all three of those ingredients are important? No, absolutely. So, it's interesting. I actually went and uh, I think one of the great things of working at the Taproot Foundation was just the access to data and to people um, that you know, we had. And started to really study purpose um, based on what I saw executive coaches have been doing with people for decades, you know, creating personal purpose statements. And many of you, and at least some, you may have gone through the experience as well, have gone through these sort of workshops and weeks and weeks of work to really come up with a personal purpose statement that defines you know, your purpose in a way that inspires you. And as I studied those and looked at, you know, hundreds and thousands of them, started to really understand the components that defined someone's purpose through that lens. So, you know, one was really around community or impact. Uh, You need to, in your purpose, feel like you're fundamentally at work making an impact towards something. You need to feel like your work matters. You need to have a sense of significance from that work and that that's, you know, at the core of, you know, your purpose. Uh, Secondly, you know, it really has to do with uh, your values and really at the core, like what is it that you believe is the set of values about how the world progresses, the fundamental set of values about um, what you believe is right or wrong, because that impacts sort of your purpose and how you want to go out into the world um, and the judgments that come with that. Um, And then finally, which is around growth, and it's really around craft, which is there is the superpower that you bring into the world to go about creating that change and alignment with those values. So purpose is really multidimensional because just talking about impact is simplistic. Just talking about values would be too simplistic. And, you know, what has been the trend in modern workforce is just focusing focusing on your craft and strengths um, leaves out the human aspect of your work. So when we bring together purpose now from a, you know, a science perspective and helping people act on it, it's really bringing those three components together. Um, and that's sort of the sort of next iteration of our understanding, um, building even off of what was in the book uh, in the last few years based on more and more research. Mm, I love all of that, Aaron. So this reminds me, I, I spoke to a group of women a few weeks ago, and I spoke about, of course, the importance of being able to discover and work from their, their, their purpose. And one of the young women in the crowd said to me, 
she asked the whole crowd actually and then addressed it to me she said well hold on here why does it even why does it matter that why is purpose so important? I mean, you're talking about what I'm getting from it as an individual. You know, why is that so important? And I gave her a response. But before I share what I what I said, would you say why does purpose really matter for individuals? Oh my God! But we another like four hours on that one. But, um, <laughs> okay. So I think there's like the. Uh, I think if you look at it from a sort of scientific standpoint, um, why it matters is that at the end of the day. The number one thing we want from work besides just, you know, compensation and paying the bills is fulfillment. Um, And fulfillment is based on an actual neurological uh, chemical reaction. So we gain a sense of fulfillment when we have serotonin, oxytocin, and dopamine um, firing in our brains. It creates that reward um, that is um, what we call fulfillment. And we don't all get fulfillment from the exact same things. Um, our purpose actually helps to navigate, to define how we approach work in a way in which uh, those uh, neurotoxins, those neurochemicals are released um, that's specific to us. So when you know your sense of purpose, when you are aware of that in your day-to-day work, you're aligning and optimizing your work to basically maximize the degree to which um, you're getting that fulfillment um, from your work. That leads to a whole you know, range of outcomes. I mean, in the studies we've done, people who are working with purpose, working in that alignment, outperformed and outmeasured their peers in every single category we've studied. So whether it's about making money, whether it's about you know, becoming a leader, um, whether it's about you know, becoming exceptional at what you do, whatever it is that you care most about at work as a measure of success, uh, when you're operating in alignment with your purpose, um, your odds of getting there are substantially better and you're much more likely to be fulfilled, which then just quickly you bring home, which affects your kids, it affects your family. I mean, it's, uh, um, it creates a whole stew of goodness. <laughs> I love that. A stew of goodness. I love that. Well, and that is pretty much what I said, but I said it very differently. What I said to her is I said, <laughs> well, if you're going to make an impact in the world, the energy has to start from someplace. And that energy is you. And yep. if you aren't and what you're describing to me is also speaks to intrinsic motivation, right? Nobody has That's to right. tap you on the shoulder to say to do it. It's, it's, it's within you and it comes out. So I, I love the way that you presenced all of that, Aaron. That, I, that was the response that I should have given. Okay. <laughs> Yours is more powerful. Mine's just explaining the science behind it. <laughs> okay, well, well. So let's go on then to maybe the the social purpose here. I think this is really intriguing for the work that both you and I do. But the idea of what do you mean by purpose economy organization? Yep, no, absolutely. So. Um, you know, just like in the previous economies, you can think about immediately like an agrarian business, you can think about an industrial business, and you can think about an information economy business. You know, what does a purpose economy business look like? And we really define it in two different ways. One is tied to how it's serving its customers. And with its customers, is it fundamentally sort of driving fulfillment for them in one way or another? Is it aligning with what we know generates uh, well-being and fulfillment for, you know, for people um, and then the second one has to do with uh, its role as an employer. And is it a culture where there's the psychological safety, where there's the employee self-discovery and self-awareness, where there's the organizational purpose that creates a culture where people are um, able to thrive um, and where people are truly valued as human beings? So it's really two sides of that equation. You've got to have both how you're interacting with human beings as customers and then your human beings that are you know, behind your walls. 
Boy, if that doesn't describe the conversation that I had last week with Hugh Welsh from DSM, I don't know what does. I mean, yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, he really talked about how this the organization is really all about conducting itself first to be able to serve people across the globe, not from the vantage point of just making money. That wasn't enough. Yeah. And in so doing, to really, really enroll employees to, to lean into their place of how they were connected to that purpose, which is, as you said before, incredibly fulfilling. No, absolutely. And if you think about... Um, if you think about that, it's not a pure, no organization is purely one thing or another. If you think about the you know, largest, most successful information economy companies, they still did a lot of industrial work. Um, if you think about purpose, you know, some of these companies that are you know, more part of the purpose economy, they're still you know, heavily using you know, information technology. They're still doing um, a significant amount of um, industrial production. Uh, I think it's about you know, where they're seeing their growth, where they're seeing their value, and how does their culture uh How's our culture being defined? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so here we are talking about the kind of things that show up well for an organization here. But I'm interested in how you might, somebody's on the phone, somebody's listening to this conversation wondering, well, is that us? Or how will we know if we're actually working from purpose? So what signs or symptoms might a leader or someone who works for a company see that would alert them to this need to address purpose in the organization? Yeah, I mean... I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan. Um, Star Wars is always the easiest way for me to <laughs> understand it, is that when you're working with purpose, it really is um, you know, the light side of the force versus the dark side of the force, for those of you that are Star Wars fans. If you think about um, what that means, when you're working with purpose, you're operating out of a sense of abundance. You're not operating off of a sense of scarcity. Um, you're operating with a sense of personal self-worth um, and not... Uh, operating out of a sense of low self-worth. Um, you're operating out of seeing potential in people and inspiring people to realize that potential versus using fear um, as a tactic to try to get people to do things or extrinsic motivations as your sole sort of driver um, of that. Um, you're really creating a culture where you feel like you're seen and you're able to see other people for who they truly are. And a lot of it, which you know, actually I was raised... I'm of Jewish descent, but raised Buddhist, and a lot of the Star Wars mythology comes out of the uh, Jewish tradition. But this whole idea of like, um, letting go of attachment, I think when you really are working with purpose, uh, you're focused on what truly matters, and your sense of attachment um, is something you let go of, and that's where you're able to let go of a lot of the fear that I think causes a lot of cultures to go um, to the dark side of the force. Mm. Aaron, we have to have you back on the show just to talk about your whole background and how that mind of yours has developed. It's fascinating that you have a Jewish background and you grew up um, Buddhist. That's fascinating. Um, interesting. Um, and I love that. I mean, I could geek out all over the place on that but as a social scientist. So <laughs> stand totally. by. I might have to come back for that. Um, but before we do, but before we move on to that, I really want to hear about some of the work that you and your team do at Imperative. Um, I, I know that you're a leadership development platform for the Purpose Economy, yeah. but it's always interesting to hear how you, if you can kind of share with our listeners, what do you do for organizations? How do you help them? Yeah, so I mean, Imperative overall is for two fronts. One is our research arm, which is really around understanding the science of fulfillment and advancing our understanding um, as a society about fulfillment and purpose. Um, the commercial side of our work is uh, working with employers to help activate purpose in their cultures. I mean, we now have a very clear business case for purpose, and companies are asking not why do we do it, but how do we do it? And 
Imperative is a very, it's a very simple platform. I and mean, what we've done is taken all the research and data science that I've developed and created an employee assessment that helps each employee very quickly understand what their psychological purpose drivers are, helps them formulate that purpose statement. It helps them see um, how that purpose impacts everything from their relationships to how they want to grow to the impact that they want to make so they can start to chart their career based on uh, their purpose, not based on other people's purpose. Um, and this platform is being used by over, over 100 companies at this point, and it's typically being used in career development, and leadership development, and manager development programs. Uh, much like, you know, historically you may have used one of the sort of core instruments of the information economy, like StrengthsFinder um, was one that has, you know, continues to be very prevalent. This is sort of the next generation um, that enables a discovery of someone at a much more human level than just simply looking at them as a set of skills or tools. And uh, it's been great just to see how it's changed people's perception of themselves, people's sense of what career paths are possible, how it's opened up conversations between people, whether it's a manager to someone on their team, uh, between two peers uh, on an executive team, to really focus in on uh, what truly matters and showing up as you know, whole people and what that does to our earlier conversation to change your culture to be one in which um, it's not about fear, it's not about scarcity, um, it's about you know, a sense of celebrating each person but working towards a collective good. Mm. Wow, you're reminding me just really quick here. Uh, when I go and speak on the research that I did around yep. modes of engagement, I found 15 unique ways that people experience meaning in their work in relation to their identity. And when I speak on that, Aaron, I'm wondering if the same thing happens to your audiences. What happens is they go, oh, wow, here's my mode that I'm experiencing. Wow. And there's these other 14. I had no idea those kinds of other ways of how people connect to work exist. And wow, I might like to experience one of them instead. And so there's this notion, and I think a lot of people walk through life thinking that this is how, however it is that they're experiencing work and connecting to it is the same for everyone else. And it just isn't so. It's limiting as well. Yep. I got to believe that you completely find that all the time, too. Yeah, I think on different variables, right? So um, I'll give you one example. We found that among purpose driven leaders, there's really three different flavors of this. Um, and that traditionally, we've only as a society celebrated or acknowledged one, which is the impact driven leader. It's the person who's driven by the question of how do I make an impact? What is the impact I want to make? Um, this is usually a very inspiring leader. Um, it's the person that typically gets the press. It's the person we often talk about when we talk about a purpose driven leader. But it's really only a third of purpose driven leaders are of that mindset. Uh, the other two are uh, values-driven leaders who ask the question more, what is the right thing to do, which isn't always impact. Um, it's what is the right thing to do? How do we do this with integrity? Um, how do we always do the right thing? Um, and these are very often CEOs and leaders who are able to operate across many different issues. Um, and they're known for integrity and building cultures where others can innovate and where um, there's a deep mutual respect. And then the final one is craft-driven leaders, which are people for whom um, the journey is as important as the results. And it's about how do we do this well? Um, what is the right way to do this? And they create exceptional you know, cultures of craftsmanship, exceptional cultures around um, sort of the beauty of the work itself. And I think a lot of people don't realize that um, they may be a purpose-driven leader, but because they aren't an impact-driven leader, that they thought um, that, that they didn't count in the definition. So just trying to have that much more inclusive definition of purpose based on truth. Mm. I love that, all, all of that. And, that, and I, I appreciate how you distinguished impact values and craft-driven. Um, some of those same themes, of course, came up in my research, too, and I do understand the importance of each of them. And certainly the craft-driven piece, Aaron, that piece of really taking seriously the beauty and ongoing development of your craft is important for a lot of people and is certainly very purposeful. 
No, and I think the uh, industrial information economy tried really hard to remove that from the workplace because it was all about efficiency and it was about the ends justifying the means um, and people who wanted to do things well and most cultures were seen as slowing down the process. But if you go back hundreds and hundreds of years and you think about, you know, operating in a small village and the traditional jobs you'd find in a, in a small village, so much of where we gained value was actually through that process of, you know, the quality of the work. You think about an artist, um, I would say an artist is purpose-driven, even though there's no sort of necessary impact. It's the craft itself. And I think we've lost that in our society. And I think that's part of what's coming back now. I hope so, because I will certainly celebrate that. <laughs> Amen. Right. Okay, let's grab our last break here, Aaron. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're on the air with Aaron Hurst, the foremost expert on the science of purpose at work and the author of The Purpose Economy, How Your Desire for Impact, Personal Growth, and Community is Changing the World. He is the CEO and co-founder of Imperative, the technology platform for leaders in the new economy, and joins us today from Seattle, Washington. We've been talking a bit about how personal and social purpose shows up. After the break, we're going to talk about moving markets and some of the work that he's doing to build a community around his conference. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Aaron Hurst, the foremost expert on the science of purpose at work and the author of The Purpose Economy, How Your Desire for Impact, Personal Growth, and Community is Changing the World. He is the CEO and co-founder of Imperative, the technology platform for leaders in the new economy. He and Imperative are also one of the organizers of the Purpose 2030 Conference on October 25th, 2018 in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before we get into a bit more about that conference that I just mentioned, I'd love it if you could share, Aaron. It's always interesting for people who maybe are hearing this idea of the purpose economy for the first time. They might think of it as being very, very squishy and abstract. So can you can you give us an example of maybe a before and after that you've worked with a company? If you don't want to give away their identity, if it doesn't make sense, that's great. But just to help us understand, what did it look like before you began working with the company and what did it look like afterwards? Yeah, no, absolutely. And we're not a consultancy, so it's not a question of like working with them on like a broader broader strategy. It's really around uh, the talent side of what they're doing and activating purpose in these in these programs. So, um, you know, without sort of sharing a specific client um, by name, just talk about sort of generally, you know, what we've seen. What we what we've seen is some of the most successful uh, work has actually been around onboarding of new employees. So, you're, at least you've just been hired by a new company. Um, it's your first day. You know, how is that company sending you a message around uh, the fact that you know your purpose matters and that purpose is something that's core to this culture? So having that employee take um, our purpose assessment, and that assessment is customized to that employer. So it actually says, given your purpose, this is why our company values that purpose, and here's how <clears throat> we're hoping you can bring that purpose to work every day. They then are able to go in and sit down with their, you know, their new manager and their new team and to really quickly, you know, hack their job and refine that job so that it really 
really fits sort of who they are and to get to know the people on their team so much more quickly. Um, so you build that psychological safety that enables them to perform uh, much more quickly. So when you start to see that happen over, you know, onboarding class, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, you start building a whole language around purpose internally and you start to build uh, connections between people where there's a lot more psychological safety and you start to see through that psychological safety, um, teams are much more consistently, you know, hitting their goals, innovating, um, driving change um, because psychological safety the research has shown over and over again is really the key to success and yet um, most programs and most of the work done by HR to date has actually made psychological safety harder not easier Yes, I know exactly what you mean, Aaron, because of the work that I do consulting with organizations. The the fear factor within organizations is so palpable sometimes. It's just really, really frightening and scary to imagine that every day people are dangling themselves into this kind of a pond. Yeah. Right? And then back to your point, and then taking it back home, and then it, it impacts their families, their children, their communities. And, oh, it's yeah. definitely work well worth doing, yeah? Yeah, another example that just um, – what we found is a lot of companies were, you know, reading the purpose economy, they're going out and hiring marketing agencies that came up with an organizational purpose, um, and they would spend a million dollars defining it, they put it on their, you know, website, they'd laminate it and put it up all over the walls, and it just wasn't sticking. Um, and what we found was that the problem was they weren't connecting it down to individual purpose. Um, it was only operating up in the clouds at the organizational level. And we've increasingly been working with companies that when they roll out purpose for the first time in their company, um, they're doing that with our platform so that each individual understands that connection and they see why the organization's purpose and theirs fits together. Um, and I think that's one of those places where you really see the magic um, and you ensure the purpose actually has legs. Mm, I completely agree with that. And, and, and in fact, one of the things that Hugh said on the show last week is when I asked him about how did it, how did it show up within DSM, he said the place buzzes. Yep, exactly. Uh, who doesn't want to work in a place like that? Um, Indeed. Well, so I want to move on next if we can, Aaron. One of the things I appreciated about the way you organize your book is you talk to us about what is the purpose economy. You go into the personal piece of it, the social piece of it, and, and you got a whole section there about then moving markets, which I think is really, really fascinating. And this this really gets, gets to see the impact here. So um, will you say a little bit about the opportunity you see in the purpose economy to shape and build markets? Yeah, I mean, at least if you just think back to what markets have changed and which new markets emerged with the information economy, I mean, it's it's startling. I mean, the whole companies that we thought were the bedrock, the blue chip companies, fell off the face of the earth, and new ones emerged quickly that you know became you know massive organizations. You saw whole new um, sub economies emerge. I mean, think about all the change that happened uh, with the information economy, and that same thing's happening again with the purpose economy, where. Um, Old companies that aren't able to adapt are falling off. New ones are emerging. And through the way in which we're working to change markets um, is shifting radically. I mean, great example of that my wife is the uh, head of global sustainability at Amazon. And just thinking about that as an industry that you know, did not exist that long ago. I mean, it exists at a very small scale. And just how that's turned into an entire economy, sub-economy around sustainability and energy and um, everything from how we manufacture to how we use energy, et cetera. Um, and what I what I do in the book is I share the research I did because at Taproot I was starting to get frustrated because I felt like okay so we're helping all these nonprofits with their marketing their tech their HR but we're not really seeing progress on the broader social issues and I started doing research to look at 
when there was human intervention to create social change, what actually caused that change? Because I saw so many people working to create change, but they each started as if there was no existing playbook or there was any precedent in the past. And after reviewing just hundreds and hundreds of examples of social change, realized there were really only five strategies uh, that were used and I didn't find a single example where less than three of them were utilized. And uh, the book sort of lays out what those are and how to think about if there's a change you want to make in the world um, in this new economy, how to do that in a very systemic, systematic way so that you're much more likely to be successful. And you know, to your point, we're really using this as the frame for our conference that's coming up uh, in a month um, and uh, really trying to work to change uh, an issue that you know, you and I are both passionate about, which is fulfillment in the workforce. Wow. Well, let's talk about that next if we can. I, I was really, really intrigued, Aaron, when I discovered that you that you were hosting this this conference. And I think I might have mentioned to you, I had planned on hosting my own conference to convene people around this topic because I think it's really important. And the more brilliant minds we can get on it, the better the outcome, it seemed to me. And then when I saw yours, I was like, heck, he's got a bigger bus. I think I'll just join his. Um, so Welcome aboard. We're excited to have you on board. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited. I can hardly stand it. But um, first, let's talk about the, the title. You, I know a little bit about this, but I don't want sure. to give the spoiler. Purpose 2030. So why the name? Yep. So a lot of conferences are about you know sharing best practices. They're about getting people to get up in front of a stage and talk about how great they are and their latest ideas. And I'm guilty of being that person many times. Uh, what I wanted to do here is very different, which is to actually put a purpose behind um, this convening. And that, that is really around fulfillment at work. We did a study a couple of years back and found that only about a third of the workforce is fulfilled at work. And we think that's a lot of what's creating problems for individuals, organizations, and society. We think that flipping that from a third to two thirds um, would radically change every issue um, in our society. That this is sort of the, the key uh, lever for creating broader change. And we're really passionate about figuring out how do we make that change. So Purpose 2030 is a shared vision to say that by 2030, we want to have achieved that. We want to go from a third to two thirds of the workforce um, being fulfilled. And the goal of the conference is every year to, to measure our progress and to do a full day design studio where we come up with new ideas we're going to want to experiment doing in the following year to figure out how to crack this nut and then come back and see how we did create new goals etc every year you know creating a snowball so that hopefully more and more people come every year um, and that by 2030 we've seen really a fundamental change to how we approach work um, especially in this country I really appreciate how you situated the promise of that convening there, uh, there, Aaron, and that I do completely agree with you that if we could impact that one third that's only fulfilled at work and bring it to at least two thirds, it would f- it would fundamentally alter the whole course of all the waves, uh, it, so- socially, economically, familially. I just uh, I so I so see that, and I think you also say in your book, like I talk about, is uh, the Gallup organization says that across the globe, only fifteen percent of the whole global the global workforce is fully engaged and enthusiastic about their work. So 85% is not. Here in the States, as you say, it's it's better. It's more like 35%. But if we could impact that, I, I certainly stand for that. That's what I'm up for in life. And so I appreciate that that is, I didn't realize that was what you were up to. And now I'm even more excited to come. <laughs> well, it actually goes a step further. So we're, we've just been doing an 18-month study with uh, PwC and CECP out of New York and really looking at uh, what we see is a sh- shift from the idea of engagement to fulfillment. 
um, and seeing that change happen. So engagement was very much, to your point, sort of something that Gallup has focused on coming out of the information economy as a definition. And it really helped progress our thinking about work, but it's still based in a power dynamic and an understanding about the role of work in our lives that's not actually based on sort of what we know in science. Uh, what we're really looking at is fulfillment, which is really about um, something that's much more of the responsibility of the individual um, than it is the organization. Um, and it's a really different way of thinking about workplace culture and about the employee value proposition. So we did uh, a listening tour across eight cities, did interviews with about 100 executives, and then did a survey of the U.S. workforce. And we're unveiling all those results um, at the conference. And, you know, we asked Americans questions like, would you rather be engaged or fulfilled at work? Um, we looked at the performance of people who were fulfilled versus those that were engaged. Uh, we looked at tenure. We looked at a whole number of variables. And I think part of what we're trying to catalyze with this initial conference is a shift away from engagement as a frame and towards fulfillment. No, oh, I'm so on your bus for that then. And I think that really also speaks to the notion of meaning. And I don't know if you know, I think her name is Emily Esfahani-Smith. She yeah, distinguish, sure. Yeah, she distinguishes you know, why we're so obsessed with happiness when rather meaning would be much more interesting to, to get our arms around. And I completely agree with her. So I think that's kind of along the lines of what you're saying, if I've got that right. No, absolutely. And I think that's, I often talk about being a parent as the definition of what meaning is. It's not always happy. It's not always fun, but you, it's deeply meaningful. And that's the way work should be as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Um, well, we're getting close to time here to, to finish already, Aaron. So um, is who should come to your conference? Who, who do you think should show up to your conference? Yeah, so this event is really for people who are actively working to uh, advance fulfillment in the workforce. Uh, it's leaders of uh, you know, human resources and talent at companies who are looking to really redesign um, that work, um, as well as you know, consultants and others who are working to help spread best practices among organizations. So, you know, the first year, it's, it's designed as a you know, design studio, so it's very much focused on people who are um, wanting to roll up their sleeves and like really participate and people who can actually make commitments um, coming out of it. We're going to treat it like the Clinton Global Initiative where at the end of it, everyone needs to make a pledge of what they're going to do to advance the field. So um, the people who come need to be prepared to actually do something afterwards. I so love that. I'm completely with you. I promise that I will make my pledge and <laughs> hold my feet to the fire. Love it. Okay, so in our last little bit of time here, Aaron, this I, knowing that this show is something that enjoys global listenership and it's really designed to help people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and also equip leaders across the globe to create an environment for that to happen, what would you like to leave our listeners with? I think one thing for me is just to be courageous and really looking at who you are as a human being and what really matters to you and letting go of you know, what other people expect of you, um, what you've been told your whole life you need to be or that identity and really thinking about who are you? What is the impact you want to make? What are the values that, you know, you really um, hold dear when you think about um, your worldview? And, you know, what is the craft, that superpower that, you know, you have to add value and to have the courage to uh, really define your path along those lines. And that's going to be really the recipe for success going forward, especially with the amount of change going on in the workforce. Our skills are going to need to constantly change. Uh, we're going to see such rapid adaptation. Uh, but if we're clear on what our purpose is, um, we will be you know, wildly successful in that, that new reality. Here, here, and another amen, Aaron. I want to thank you <laughs> heartily for joining me on the air. I've been so looking forward to this conversation. I cannot wait to meet you and the rest of the crew there in Phoenix on October 25th for your Purpose 2030 conference. Thank you for being our guest. Absolute pleasure.
If you want to learn more about Aaron Hurst and the work he and his team are doing at Imperative, visit their website. It's imperative.com. That's I-M-P-E-R-A-T-I-V-E.com, imperative.com. Join us next week when we talk with Rebecca Bales from Lumina Learning. I am a certified consultant with Lumina Learning products, and we'll be talking about how both of us use these assessments to develop leaders and coach executives to contribute their best. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.